Mini episode 1288 of the FDH Lounge is brought to you by Sportsology, delivering unconventional columns and webcasts about sports, TV, music, movies, and more. Follow them on the web at sportsology.com. The FDH Lounge. You want to schedule your life around it. A long time ago, on a gloomy, wet Cleveland spring night, two men stand alone amidst the late night drizzle. Their voices echo across the vacant station parking lot as they debate the merits of the great American radio show that have been missing for far too long. On that night, an idea was born. That idea became the FDH Lounge. Welcome to the FDH Lounge. Hello, everyone. Welcome to FDH Lounge Mini Episode 1288. This is FDH Managing Partner Rick Morris here with my good pal, FDH NBA analyst Ben Chu, and we are breaking down the 2020 NBA Finals, and we have been covering this bubble situation all the way through. We did a bubble sort of preview. We actually did that one that was distinct from the start of the, uh, the resumption, I guess you would say, of the regular season uh, into the playoffs, and then uh, a, an NBA Finals preview. So we've been charting this step-by-step. And uh, there was some degree of pessimism from both of us, perhaps more from me, that they would even get to the end of the season. But much like with the NHL, I am very, very happy to swallow my doubts and uh, say that I was proven wrong on this. The bubble was an overwhelming success as far as keeping the coronavirus outside of it. And uh, in the end, we saw an NBA champion the L.A. Lakers, their 17th title ever. Yes, that includes the Minneapolis Lakers for all the bitter uh, Boston people out there that want to heck like there's an asterisk on it. It's LeBron James's fourth title. It's the Browse first title. It comes in the year of Kobe Bryant's unfortunate passing, him and his daughter. So there's a lot of different layers to this. And in, in the end, Ben Chu, this is a situation where you and I said going in, Lakers in six. But the path from here to there really unfolded in ways, I think, that were unforeseen. It looked like a blowout at the beginning of the series, and then it got competitive, and the Lakers perhaps were on the ropes if they couldn't win Game 6. Right, and I think the major thing we discussed earlier, Rick, is that the Lakers were the prohibitive favorites to this, even Miami had relatively had an easy time winning with the Eastern Conference, and getting through the Bucs and getting through the Celtics. It does seem like that the Lakers group Kind of might have left the foot off the gas in game three. That allowed Jimmy Howard to have another one of his brilliant performances for the Heat. But it just felt like to me where that the Lakers were always pretty much in control of the series. And what really kind of hurt the Heat was with that a lot. They got they had got bit by the injury bug early. Bam out of bio and scoring Dragic didn't play much in the series. That's more really beyond at all. And I, I think the issue is that the Lakers were just we all kind of knew the Lakers were a great team and people. They uh, shift to the bubble. People tend to forget they were they were very impressive. They were the overall number one seed. People were pretty much in the Western Conference before any of this COVID nineteen stuff was on the radar. And they had previously beaten the Milwaukee Bucks in, in a game in a regular season game of Staples. So it it's it, 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 it not really super surprising. I mean, we, we kind of saw this as a combination of LeBron James playing well and a lot of the supporting cast just being generally great and. I think so, yeah, and really, again, what they were doing, bringing in Anthony Davis, a lot of turnover in the offseason because a lot of parts were necessary to get him there, 
And uh, again, moving away from the disastrous year one Magic Johnson approach with LeBron of surrounding him, quote-unquote, with playmakers to getting shooters in there like Danny Green and some of these other guys, really an Insta team much the same as what the Clippers were doing. And I sort of wavered back and forth the whole season between picking the Lakers and the Clippers to come out of the West. Uh, We saw in the playoffs here the definitive difference, which is that the Clippers just couldn't find a quote-unquote playoff gear. Uh, Paul George really dinging his own reputation in the process uh, by, by coming up small in a number of games. Uh, for Kawhi Leonard, a poor Game 7 against Denver in the conference semifinals. Other than that, he acquitted himself well. And uh, again, maybe we forget just how impressive the Clippers looked in putting away a Dallas team that gave them a lot more headaches than anticipated because Dallas was playing like they were a team ahead of schedule this year. So the fact that you had the Clippers uh, sort of coming up short, living up to the Clipper reputation of not being able to close out in the playoffs, you had Miami coming up small in the uh, Eastern Conference playoffs. I mean, if we'd have known going into the bubble those two things were going to happen, Ben, we'd have all said, yeah, Lakers prohibitive favorite and the Lakers in the end win with the other two co-favorites on the sidelines at the very end. Right, and I I think generally with the Lakers is that the team really sort of messed well together. You have to give Frank Vogel a lot of credit. Yes. Earlier in the year, when he was signed as their extension, a lot of people thought a coup with Jake and Kidd would eventually take over at some point, but Vogel stuck to his game plan, made the very smart decision to need six by starting out for over Dwight Howard. So that they can play five guys out and defend as much as everything as much as humanly possible. And it, it just seems almost like the Lakers kind of did what I thought a lot of teams should go into the bubble. Like if you already were solidified, your job is to use those couple of beating games to get stuck for the playoffs. And to be honest, it's not really surprising. The Lakers went sixteen and five generally since over the series. They trail they trailed only once in the entire playoffs, and that was in the first round against Portland. So I mean, it, it really shouldn't be shocking to anyone. D.D. and LeBron were pretty much dominant this entire time. The Western Conference, I think it was a war of attrition essentially out there, and I'm not really super surprised by any of this. I mean, I don't think anyone should be at this point. The Lakers were a great team in the regular season, and when you have two of the top ten best players in the league, I would assume you would have a very good chance to win the NBA title. Yes, and I think perhaps you could say after – uh, the way it went uh, through the finals, two of the top five players. You and I will be breaking that down not too long from now, uh, going through our annual NBA Top 30 list in the league. But I think AD obviously makes a very, very strong case for being in the top five, even at a time when the top tier of players uh, is more crowded than it generally is, not least of which because of many transcendent performances that we saw during the playoffs. I do know when I make out the annual NBA Top 30 list, this will be the first time I put Jimmy uh, uh, Jimmy Butler on the top tier. I've never had him on the top tier before, but man, he proved he belonged. He stepped up. It was the perfect confluence of player and situation, him being in Miami, fitting with that team there, them sort of building around him, nice complementary parts with Adebayo, Dragic, who unfortunately wasn't available for much of the finals, Adebayo part of the finals as well, Tyler Hero, who looks like he's going to be part of a big three there for a long time to come. 
what Miami did as far as putting this all together, starting with their centerpiece and Jimmy Butler, is not to be underestimated. One of Pat Riley's best franchise-building jobs yet, and that says something. Perhaps Eric Spolster's best coaching job yet, and that says something. And I think they keep, regardless, even if they did lose the series, they, they did a great job because I think a lot of people after being one of the series readily assumed, like I did, that they were pretty much going to either get swept or lose in five games. Me too. And sadly for them, actually, is that the, the issue, and I remember we discussed this on the prior episode, was the issue that I felt that they had was that if their offense was not coming, they were not going to beat the Lakers. And essentially, their offense was not coming. Losing Dragic early was pretty brutal for them. He did a lot of scoring in the Eastern Conference Finals against Boston and alongside the Mentors against the Bucks. They just, it just felt like they, they were almost like in a comparison narrative. It's like after the Lakers beat the Nuggets and they got the trophy, the Western Conference uh, trophy, they looked like they were business as usual and Miami sort of were like excited and taking photos. And it just felt very stark to me that the Lakers knew that it wasn't done. It felt like the Heat were happy that they were moving forward and celebrating the opportunity. But this doesn't go against that they have a really good young core. And I think in comparison to the Lakers right now, they have a lot of young cheap guys under contract. You have Euro, you have Robinson, you have uh, Kendrick Dunn, who had a couple of good late games in these finals. And you have, you know, a lot of, a lot of pieces that you're going to let go of over time. And you'll be able to get a low-price max roster spot for somebody in the near future. And that team is just going to get better. So you give Miami a lot of credit, give Eric Wolfram a lot of credit that he was able to get two wins out of this Miami team that was clearly overmatched just based on the level of the top two players. They were. And I felt like, again, I agree with you that I thought the Lakers let off at the end of Game 3 a little bit, and I think uh, additionally the end of Game 5. Those were both games where, uh, with the Lakers being close, I expected them to put them away, and they didn't in either situation. And some of that, again, owes to the intensity of Jimmy Butler and his just refusal to go down. And this is a thing, and, and he actually got to show a more multifaceted side of his game uh, in the playoffs, stepping up in terms of the distribution when Goran Dragic went down. Uh, for Jimmy Butler to be leading the team in every major category, including assists, he was very LeBron-esque in terms of his all-around game. And uh, again, there are a lot of people that point to this perhaps as when you're talking... Now, again, LeBron doesn't necessarily play a small forward all the time these days, right? When Rondo's not in there, sometimes he'll be an actual point guard. But uh, if you're talking small forward versus small forward, there are a lot of people that are saying this was LeBron's best matchup duel since uh, Paul Pierce back in the day with Boston 2008 and uh, 2010. Yeah. 
Definitely. And uh, by, by the way, uh, as a lifelong Cavs fan, I just realized here that I, uh, I blanked out on the second half of the LeBron-Paul Pierce matchups when LeBron was in Miami and Paul Pierce was in Boston. Those were painful series for me to watch personally. Uh, but yeah, the, the LeBron-Pierce rivalry at small forward, uh, which again, relatively one-sided if you're talking all-time great players, but uh, it, it, just in terms of how they matched up against each other in the playoffs, uh, again, it was it was close and it was competitive a lot of times. The Lakers team, I do agree with you because there was an article on CBS Sports today about uh, the Lakers being a better team next year potentially, and it's not hard to see why because again, they didn't have a third part of the big three. Everybody thought it was going to be Kyle Kuzma, although I always wondered how that was going to work in terms of position fits. Because, uh, now, I, I didn't anticipate LeBron playing point guard as much as he did, but I'm thinking to myself, LeBron, Kuzma, Davis, that that's a lot of guys playing forward uh, on the floor at the same time. I don't think we can blame Kuzma's problems on that necessarily. He's got to step it up if he wants to have a future wearing those colors. But the, the, the odds are very good that if it's not him, it'll be somebody else coming in, that they'll be able to continue to upgrade this team. And now you're going to have the ring chasers coming in. I mean, you're going to have uh, the guys like, I'm just going to throw a name out there, Gordon Hayward, like, oh, it would be my great honor to help the Lakers maintain their place at the top of the stack. You know, you're going to have all these guys coming and kissing ass to be part of this thing here. So maybe you get a third piece of the big three that way. Right. And I think for the Lakers, just if you look at their roster, they might get a little bit smaller. I mean, the real question I think is ultimately what's going to become a Dwight Howard and Jamil in the long run. If they use the mid-level exception, are they going to go after a guy who can essentially be a secondary playmaker for LeBron? Are they going to maybe a big guy, maybe like a Marcus Stoll in Toronto? Or will they maybe go after one of these other guys that was talked about and had a relatively notable game against and they're, they, they have a lot of positive abilities. And for a lot of the, the crap that Rob Polinka took during his sort of narrative with Magic Johnson, it's just that there was definitely some intelligence in terms of how he was choosing to build this team moving forward. And just finding, you got to give them credit, they, the Lakers played exceptionally well in the finals. You know, I mean, you can give credit to KCP, Alex Caruso, and Rachel Rondo at a fantastic game six of 21 points, made it since seven rebounds. They, 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 everyone knew their ball, they knew how to fit together, and that's always the biggest indicative of a championship. Everyone knows their role. It should be very easy to win. And we also tend to forget that one very notable name who wasn't in the bubble, Avery Bradley, was a huge part of this team early on in the season. So he's going to be back at some level for the, for the second year, for the next uh, title run. So they, they, it's going to be very interesting because I think it'll be so many different ways to hop on the field. Right, and I obviously I want to spend a little bit more time here on the the Lakers' future. I'm going to circle back around quickly, though. Uh, one player that, that that we didn't talk about here. So a side effect of the Lakers winning the title is that the Greek freak is not the first guy na named Antetokounmpo to win an NBA title. Obviously, his brother beats him there first. <laughs> didn't have a whole lot to do with it, but uh, you could almost say even when Pat Riley loses, he wins. 
because now now you got the freak looking at that, that his brother's got a ring. This is a year when he was supposed to at least be in the finals. He wasn't. It's a Miami team that stopped him, that, oh, by the way, is going to have the cap room to go after him next summer. That is going to be something really, really worth watching, because uh, I know that uh, you and I have both sold on the potential of him sticking around in Milwaukee past the season. Well, at this point, too, especially with the Milwaukee Bucks, is that there would be a very interesting team to watch for next season. Because essentially, it's very similar to when LeBron went to Cleveland for the first time. Yep. I was thinking that Giannis doesn't, if they don't get to the finals next year, he will be gone because there are definitely a bunch of other teams, including the Lakers, who could be interested in his services. And Milwaukee, very sadly for them, is that the coronavirus pandemic uprooted their perfect sort of legendary season. And you could just tell, like, from the early onset in the bubble, they were never the same team. They were very good, but they were just never the same. They looked like they were sort of in a malaise through most of the bubble. And it was, it was very apparent that in that series against Miami, like, they just got slapped around by Jimmy Butler. And the best team, the way they were shooting and just playing overall. And it's going to be a real question with how do they make this roster better with their current cap situation and with pertaining, like, who would hold her as the head coach. I, I don't. I think just based on the law of averages, I think Milwaukee is probably going to be either a club or not. But again, in comparison to a year ago, they have a lot of teams trying to come just behind them. Toronto nearly made it to Eastern Conference Finals again. The Celtics were pretty much a game or two away from getting to the finals themselves. And I think you'll have a Brooklyn team with a healthy Katie and a healthy Kyrie Irving to have to deal with. Because again, I don't, this arguably was. Giannis' best year to prove that he would be this next level player. And while he did win the MVP and a defensive player of the year honor, they came up woefully short. Well, yeah, and let's not forget just how inexplicable it was. I remember how inexplicable it seemed to me at the time. Now, granted, I was a little slow to catch up to how good Toronto I'm was fair, last I'm year. But last year, dude. I didn't think it was inexplicable. Well, last year. Well, had, them dumping against know. Toronto, maybe you saw it coming. But them being up 2-0 and then getting swept from that point forward, maybe you thought Toronto could come back. But I guarantee you, you were in the minority on that one. And it happened, and this is two years in a row now. This isn't just once, Ben. This is twice. Right. And I think the issue for them, too, again, is going to be with how they work with Giannis moving forward. And we'll see what Mike Budenholzer does, because he pretty much, I thought, should have been fired after this season. And I think at this point... If they don't make some wholesale moves to fixing their rotation, they maybe get a little bit more offense, a little bit more offensive punch at time around having gone and do a little bit more on the defensive end. This seems like a team that is going to crater in at the Eastern Conference Finals at this point. Yeah, I would agree with that. And really, it's a situation where and you, you go back to, uh, again, for, for the hard feelings that I had when LeBron left the first time, the second time I kind of saw it coming, and I just shrugged, and I was like, whatever. So, I mean, I'm at the point now, do I begrudge that it was one or whatever? I don't really care. If it, like, the first time around, definitely had hard feelings because the Cavs hadn't gotten a title when he was here. And for the hard time that everybody gives Dan Gilbert, it was where I was mad about LeBron going, and the way that it happened was these were all moves he wanted, like getting Larry Hughes here. All of these guys, oh, better go get this guy, better go get that guy. It was it was a thing where the Cavs had bad contracts, but it was all in an effort to appease him. For Milwaukee, it's the opposite. It's the, the decision to try to stay under the luxury tax 
in letting Malcolm Brogdon go last summer. You and I joked previously when Milwaukee had a great regular season. I was like, this can't possibly be Malcolm Brogdon Ewing theory. Clearly it wasn't. And uh, again, they made it through the regular season fine, but letting a key guy get away for nothing more than the desire to save some money, say what you will about Dan Gilbert, but that never happened with him. Whatever moves the Cavs ever made were from being you know, too aggressive if they were mistakes, and a lot of times it was too aggressive to try to appease their main guy. For Milwaukee, they cut their throats a year ago letting Brogdon go because the freak can turn back to them and say, hey, uh, you, you told me you'd, you'd give it every chance to, to win a championship. You'd give it your best chance and not let money be an object, and you, you, you clearly let it be. Yes. So you would think that this sort of a team would have made a bigger sort of push just generally. And, and, and I think, and again, this, to defend Milwaukee a little bit, that they really were relying on their home court this year. And with no home court, this is very, looks like a very above average team, but did not look like a world beating team. Like they kind of looked at one question that I had during the regular season was, was that they destroyed bad teams, but when they would play a good team every once in a while, they would struggle. Yeah. And when you get to the playoffs, as we all know, you're playing good teams. You're, you're not playing the New York Knicks of the world. You're, you're playing the elite of the elite. And after a while, you have to ask the question, is this team good enough to win in the playoffs? And now two years in a row that they've come up short of getting to the finals. That starts to, I don't care who you are, if you're mentally tough or not mentally tough, it wears on you as a human being to be in back-to-back scenarios where you think you should be in the finals and you don't get there either time. Yeah. I mean, so that's one more year of baggage that they have to deal with than the Clippers do, although for the Clippers it's still baggage. And as, as you and I speak right now, they're still trying to work out what's going to happen with their head coaching situation next year as uh, Doc Rivers is off to Philly, where apparently he will be Glenn Rivers from here on in, since there's only one Doc in Philly. But as far as it goes in that division next year, uh, and I was like half-joking with you off-air about Lakers-Clippers being a 4-5 in next year's playoffs, that division is going to be so tough. Again, Sacramento, they've clearly plateaued in their development, but Phoenix was looking really good once they got in the bubble. And I, as a Cavs fan, I'm jealous uh, like crazy that they had the opportunity to do that as a young team. The Cavs certainly could have benefited from that. Phoenix is going to be better than they were before they even get into offseason and make any moves potentially. And at the top of the division now, Lakers, Clippers, Golden State, in there as Golden State gets their pieces back together. Sans Durant, of course, but uh, the, the guys who were there for at least the first two runs at the NBA Finals, one and one in 2015 and 2016. Uh, I will just gravy train as a Cavs fan and note that it was the Cavs that stopped that core in 2016. But be that as it may, you have a core there. There's a lot of Cavs gravy training, dear Lord. <laughs> We've been Look. three minutes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, it's it's the one Cleveland sports championship in my lifetime uh, that I have to hang my hat on, and I can already. Yeah, well, and, and I can I I can practically hear. Did I fall? Did I fall on a beer the podcast? Yeah. 
Well, from the next county over from me, I can practically hear FDH lounge dignitary Anthony Patron screaming, but what about the Cleveland Force and the Cleveland Crunch? Sorry, not uh, big league professional sports, Anthony Patron. I felt good when they won their titles back in the day, but indoor soccer uh, doesn't fill anybody with the same joy as does an NBA championship. But be that as it may, you go back to, and really it should be 2011. It's so funny here. we got the Lakers that last won it in 2010. It was the end of the Kobe run, although nobody really saw that happening at the time. 2011, ultimately, I will go to my grave believing Miami should have won, but got overconfident against Dallas, let them back into the series. But from 2012 forward, when you look at that division, you have major representatives of every champion in the league since then, whether it be LeBron, whether it be Kawhi Leonard, whether it be the Splash Brothers. They're all right there in that division. It is going to be incredible intrigue next year at the top of the West. And again, there's going to be a lot of hype around the regular season rankings, who's one, who's two, who's three. You know and I know that it really doesn't matter when you get to the playoffs here. As a matter of fact, I don't see any of them being high seeds one or two or even potentially three because Denver, Utah, and Dallas are going to have easier divisional schedules. But talk about the intrigue of having those three teams in that division and sort of the round robin at the top of the Pacific next year because it's going to be a media circus if nothing else. Right, and I think it's going to be very interesting to see because the Lakers are pretty much going to be the Lakers. We'll be the Clippers, going to be a lot better. I, I see them in the playoffs. And here's the thing, too. As much as i got to give you noogies on the whole thing, I, I give you credit for owning up before. I've always been kind of a Frank Vogel guy. You and I haven't necessarily agreed on this. I give you credit for owning up on that one. But uh, Ricky giveth and Ricky taketh away. I'm going to giveth here as well, Ben, because I'm going to throw something out here where you were incredibly prescient. I'm going to go back to the rookie season of a guy named Donovan Mitchell, 
where you said at one point, the guy seemed sort of Jordan-esque to you. And I, I was like, really? I mean, this guy's been a lot better than we all thought, but really? I mean, I don't think there's anybody at this point that would blink at anybody saying that right now. And you were a minimum of a year ahead of anybody else I ever heard talking about the guy's real potential for greatness. So him alone is going to put Utah in that conversation, too, plus whatever else they can do as far as tweaking that roster. I think there is a realization in that organization they have to catch up to Denver in the Northwest. And the really intriguing part, I think, moving forward for them, too, is, is that they were literally record one Mike Conley shot away from defeating Denver in that series. Yes. We, we might be talking about a Western Conference final that would have ended up being the Lakers for Jazz. Yeah. Or maybe we think the entire differential, maybe the Clippers actually make it through at that point. So it's going to be really interesting. I'm not as high on Utah as you are. I do think Mitchell is main drive. He's going to be a fantastic player. I'm just very sort of, I'm not sure about them only because it seems like they have a bunch of talented guys, but I think their question is going to be do they keep Rudy Gobert or they let Rudy Gobert go? Because I think, weirdly enough, this sort of team doesn't really keep Gobert. And I think they should be playing much higher tempo offense with all the uh, altitude and just everything overall. But it's going to be interesting to see because Colbert is one of the best defensive centers. But we're going to start to see how we have to work. We don't. There aren't that many great day guys left in the league, including outside Anthony Davis and Carl Anthony Powell. There's not a lot of great big guys, and I think we, we're going to see either two shifts. We're either going to see teams try to figure out a way to stop Anthony Davis, or we're going to see teams sort of go all in on small ball. It's going to be very interesting to see because I, I think the way that team building is going to be in the near term, I don't think with just a salary cap, we're, we're going to see high fluctuations in it, especially after the COVID timeline. I guarantee you, we're going to start. We're going to see some things we probably wouldn't think we'd see in terms of. I don't think we'll be big three for a while unless it's a team that's cultivated through the draft. Right. And it seems to be moving forward that if you look at sort of the West and the East, it's a lot of jumbleness right now. Lakers are clearly going to be the favorites next season, but it will be very intriguing to see how everything will kind of play out in sort of a weird post-COVID year. Because essentially, we believe, like, the, at least through the sources that I have, that it's going to be a mid-January start for the next season. And while I think that break is long enough for most players, the real question is going to be, it's going to be a weird sort of how they're going to schedule everybody, how many road trips a lot of these teams will take, if there's going to be a lot of home at home. Yeah, I would agree with that. And again, I think it's a very exciting time in the league because, uh, again, you, you have the teams uh, that were there at the end this year. But, but again, you, like you, we said, you throw in Golden State getting their guys back. You throw in Brooklyn getting their guys back. So a number of uh, big championship winning players from the 2010s trying to make later career runs for those two teams, can they elevate them at a time when we've already seen Miami get elevated, Denver to some degree, Dallas is starting the process, uh, like you said, New Orleans, they come from further back than some of these other teams, but they have the, the potential to make a bigger jump quicker, uh, potentially, because of the star power of some of the players on there, and Brandon Ingram really having a breakthrough type year as well. Uh, so again, David Griffin is just a fantastic team builder, uh, as he was with the Cavaliers, putting all the pieces around LeBron. A very exciting time in the league. The last note to talk about here 
is in looking at this and what was a finals coming in where, again, maybe there wasn't a whole lot of intrigue because Miami was a five seed. Nobody was really talking about them coming out of the East, whatever. And then you have a blowout in game one. So maybe we never really had the chance for high ratings in this series, but it is still a surprise in a lot of quarters just how low the ratings were. I've seen a lot of gloating. I got a text from a friend of mine today who, who he was quoting the Washington Examiner. I'm like, oh, uh, that's amazing you could find an article in the Washington Examiner saying that NBA woke politics is responsible for the low ranking or low ratings. But I mean, I do think there is something to the notion, though, of the league getting a little bit more in the whole thing of taking sides. You've got Adam Silver already saying, we're not going to do that again next year as far as painting stuff on the court and that kind of stuff. So the league, in some small ways, trying to tiptoe away from this. And I think Adam Silver, being the brilliant guy that he is, realizes that the league has to look inclusive and they want you to watch basketball regardless of what your politics are. But there's a number of different uh, explanations for this that go beyond that. You had one in particular that I find to be very, very unique, and I think it's very compelling. Right. And, I mean, one thing, uh, before I may go into the next point, I, one of the data points I would read you, that I believe that an article that I got before, the average sort of racial, uh, the, uh, the average fan base on ethnicity for the NBA during the last two runs of the finals, it was 55% non-white. So there's roughly, you would say, 40 to 45% white people watching the event. Okay. I highly doubt that percentage really impacted this in the long run. I'm not saying that there wasn't any sort of an overrun. I, for me, I think it's a combination of three things. Right? One, there's just a lot of sports going on. We know that. There's literally NBA There was literally a day where the NBA Finals, the MLB Playoffs, the uh, NFL were all being played essentially the same week. So you're going to see a fragmentation of all those games over time. Number two, I, I'll be honest, the Lakers are a great draw. They're one of the legacy franchises in the NBA, but if you kind of look at their numbers over time, when the Lakers have been dominant, those finals have tended to be decreasing. And let's be brutally honest, Miami is a great is a great franchise and a great team, but I think it behooves to think many casual observers could name anyone outside of Jimmy Butler on that team. That's right. And to be honest, and to be honest number three, Greg, and to get to the point you were trying to Terms of the major services, yes, the the majors.
putting together. Their service was already there, but they they were also being more focused on. And then another thing is that they all, we also had the debut of Ecom through Comcast, and now very soon we're going to have Paramount, but then we've been seeing it with TV and all access. And if I'm being honest, Rick, if you're a casual fan, I'm not really sure if LeBron James and the Lakers is really that big of a draw for you, especially if you've grown up watching the NBA. And especially the COVID timeline of court cutting and people wanting to focus on different things. We, we've never had a timeline where at least in the common technology, like dot-com era that we exist in these days. We've never had a scenario where we have been harassed of sports for more than three, more three months, ever. Right. And I think that does play in fact that I think we have other now, and I think one of the major things that's going to come out of the COVID-19 pandemic is that people are going to choose to be more singular in their interests because they can be now. Yes, I would agree with that. And I think additionally, this is a thing where there are so many different aspects of society where we look at it and we say things are not going to go back to where they were before this because of patterns, things discovered during the pandemic. And for the whole thing, for watching on-demand video and having it explode uh, the way that it did uh, during this, and uh, you and I had talked previously about the failures of uh, Quibi during this thing, and that uh, how the hell during a global pandemic do you fail to get your service off the ground when you have the golden opportunity? But people were watching a lot of on-demand stuff more than ever because let's not forget the end of some of the TV season stuff, right, was never got finished. Some of the shows never got done. You had movies that weren't available that were going to be coming out over the summer. You had people turning to on-demand services and streaming out of necessity. And that's the thing, Ben. When you have people turn to that in greater and greater and greater numbers and reorienting their patterns towards on-demand and streaming... We will never go back to where we were pre that point in time. Streaming will always, from now on, be that much bigger of a competitor to traditional uh, entertainment sources, of which sports is one. And streaming was already big before this, Ben. Right. One thing I, I've been just tracking in terms of looking at, because as we know, there's things that I've debated, I've not debated but I've been talking about for a while, is that
and they were able to do other things and they had more time to do things. And one of the things I found incredibly interesting throughout this pandemic was the growth of home sales and home entertainment system and just all these other things that people were now able to buy for this. And, I, and in a way, if you truly think about it, Rick, if you look at sort of like prestige television on, on, on like the big four network, it has been steadily in decline since early 2010. Yes. And it should be surprising that these games are not heavily watched because they were competing with other things as well. And regardless of local the form, because if we've learned anything from history, the NBA then quit in the first year that the NBA as a champion did not award a finals champion, which has occurred in baseball and in the National Hockey League. It would be a very black scene on the league again. It's amazing what they were able to do, but I'm not really super surprised that people were sort of ambivalent as with the first game one that kind of showed that the Lakers were going to be heavily dominant in the series. Essentially, the comparison I would make, Rick, is that you essentially got, like, you were told, like, there's a piece of birthday cake in front of you, and you'll get to eat the cake, and what is the, and, and you'll just, you know, uh, let me, excuse me, let me, I, I guess this analogy correct. Okay. It's essentially, someone's point that there yeah. is a piece of birthday cake in front of you, but we're going to offer that you have to wait for, or you can have pie right now. Okay. Most of the time, most people are not going to want to wait for cake if they can have time. Yeah, true. You know, I mean, the proviso in my case is uh, both of those would have to be gluten-free, but that's just me. But uh, regardless, I understand your point. Uh, it's a point well taken. And, and again, uh, you had said that to me off air. I knew we needed to get that on air because it is a side of this discussion that is not much being had. People are looking more at the, uh, the quote-unquote standard reasons for why the ratings might be down. And uh, again, they've been down in all sports. Uh, people who expected yeah. that we're going to see I mean, this. I mean, only even the, the NFL, the, the, the time that is the NFL is basically dealing with race issues. Yeah. I mean, and even the NFL, they'd like them to be a little bit better in some instances right now. And the notion of uh, OMG, biggest sports ratings ever, when sports started coming back because we were deprived of them for three-plus months, not necessarily the case not least of which because, hello, they're all coming back at once. So there's the inherent competition of the baseball playoffs, the NFL happening. We're going to be coming up on a weird period of time now where once the baseball playoffs are done, it's just going to be whatever midweek football games we get to tide us over between college and NFL on the weekends. That is going to be weird. It's going to be like a little bit of a flashback to the spring and the early summer. There's going to be nights in November and December when we don't have any big-time pro sports or big-time college sports, and that's going to be weird, although college basketball will be rolling out in some form or fashion. But as we go through, again, this is uh, at the, uh, the end of our discussion here tonight is a nice sort of segue on what's to come. You and I are going to be looking at the NBA draft subsequently here, the offseason, the way that it unfolds. It's going to be the most unusual offseason that the NBA has had in quite a long period of time here. Take a look at our NBA Top 30 list heading into the next season. A lot of things to get to. Always a pleasure, my man. Thank you, Ben Chu, for being here for our 2020 NBA Finals breakdown today. Well, I appreciate it, Rick. As always, the bubble has finally been completed. Hopefully, Lakers can be put behind on it. <laughs> yeah. Well, stay safe for everybody out in Southern California here as the celebrations continue to unfold. And well, well, uh, to make one more final point, Rick, the world is healing. The Lakers won a title under the Ryan. So <laughs> yeah. 
not the kind of normalcy I was looking for, but we'll take whatever we can get right about now. So on that note, thank you everybody for tuning in to FDH Lounge Mini episode 1288.